Welcome to a podcast about wealth and life. We all know that our finances play a big part in how we live our lives. In this podcast, the advisors from Foster and Motley share insights and information about investment and financial planning topics and how they connect to your life. When you're young, adding another candle to your birthday cake is exciting. But there comes a time when you may not welcome being another year older. If you plan ahead, though, you can make the difference between a senior lifestyle you choose and one that someone else chooses for you. I'm Patrice Sikora with Foster and Motley's Tony Luckhart and Amy Thomas to talk about how an advisor can help when it comes to senior care. Amy, let's start with a definition. What is senior care? It sounds like it's a very wide-ranging phrase. And it is, Patrice, a wide-ranging phrase. It could go from you're living fine and independent in your home and maybe just need a little bit of help. So you could bring in nursing care. You could bring in someone, you know, there's services that will come in and do your laundry for you or drive you places to maybe you decide it's too much to keep that family home. And then you choose to move into a facility that's called independent living. You could be living in a villa on a campus per se, and it's a lot of seniors all together with activities, or they have apartments and meals could be provided either to your room or you go down to a dining room. You might need more help than that. So you might then move on to assisted living where maybe it's not a full apartment, but it's it's maybe a larger room that has a kitchenette or something and people come in every day and help you to the traditional maybe full care service at some point in the future or like a memory care. So it's decisions across a large range of how you handle things. Tony? Yeah. So, I mean, why we're talking about this today is every person has different needs and wants and kind of navigating these can be tough. So like most financial and big decisions in your life, it all starts with goals. So really talking to family members, talking to your spouse, um, talking about what your goals are and trying to work towards accomplishing those goals. Um, I've got I have one client that has some has a disability which caught which requires prosthetics and had the desire to stay in her home. So she had to retrofit her home to make sure that it was wide enough so that there was enough support for things that she needed so that it was wide enough so wheelchair it was wheelchair accessible as she kind of ages in place. All the way to another client that his wife passed away recently and decided to sell his big house and move to a different state to be closer to family members. So having a conversation, having defining kind of what your goals and wants are, and then working, putting a plan in place to to work towards those goals. When do you think you should start thinking about this, start talking about this? I think people need to start talking about it sooner than later, even though they might feel they're too young. I mean, most of these places are age 55 and up, but exceptions can be made. I mean, I had a client once that had a spouse with early onset dementia well before 50, and they moved into a facility early because they were, the facility could help them. The people, the staff there could help, even though they were in independent living. But it's critical to start talking about it when you're younger and maybe with the plan of, oh, we'll do this you know, when we are 70 and you're talking about it when you're much younger than that or 75, we'll think about moving in. But it's understanding the different facilities and making sure you're talking about this 
when you're able to, when you have the mental capability to do it, not that you even are going to have Alzheimer's, but as we age, it gets harder to make decisions. Yeah. I mean, that's a great point. I mean, the, the time to do it is before you need it because it's better for you to make that decision and be proactive with it than it being made to you. Whether that means you know, the horror stories are, you, you kind of just, you don't do anything and all of a sudden there's a, a medical issue, which requires you know that to be forced on you. And that can be very difficult. It can be a point where family members say, well, you know, sh- this person's not safe to live in their house by themselves anymore. And that's kind of forced on you. So, you know, the time to do it is before you need it, when you're ready to kind of do it, when you can really uh, spend time kind of getting your head around it. Moving in younger also allows you to connect with people in a different way, as opposed to an older period where maybe you can't get around, or maybe there's some mental uh, issues that prevent you from connecting with people in different ways. So doing it younger where you can connect, where you kind of create that community uh, where you can get to, to know people. You've got to get your mind in the right place, though, to make for, to first of all, think about this, talk about it, but then actually to make the decision. The decision is really hard for some. It's interesting. I feel like this is a topic I'm hearing weekly or you know every other week right now with clients calling or different situations happening with one couple that's already scaled down and lives in an apartment and they made the decision. They went and looked at it three weeks later. They're moving this fall. Wow. Yeah, they made the decision, but their key is we want to go because the activities are important to us. We want to have a community of one of us passes, someone there to help go through that grief period where others will talk about it. I had clients that have put deposits down. They're moving in a month later. They said, we asked for it back. We just can't do it. We can't leave our home in the community we're in. So it's hard. It's just a different process for all of us to go through. Have you had any clients who regret having done it? I have not. Okay. I have not personally had clients that have ever said they regretted it. They all seem very happy. The time where I think it's difficult, which Tony brought up earlier, is when you're forced to do it quickly. A lot of these places have wait lists. So you might want to move in or you might want a two bedroom or a three bedroom or you want to live in a villa. Well, you can hear it could be a two year wait list. to even be able to get into some of those. So time can be important because you could be forced if you have a fall. Right. And the other part of this is as if you decide to age in your house by yourself and maybe you can't drive anymore, you're, you're kind of really, you're losing all your social connections. Uh, My wife's grandmother was 95. She was living in a little town in Iowa and living in a house by herself and finally decided to make a move into assisted living, independent living facility. And her comment was, I wish I would have done this so many years earlier because they had activities. There were social connections. She was stuck in her house by herself. She could drive a little bit to church and back, but that was about it. So, you know, the fact that she was able to have such a, a, have friends, have social connections and different activities was, was just opening for her. All right, you've made the decision now to at least consider the options. What are some of the steps you should take? Talk to your family, talk to your spouse, get each other involved, get your family involved or close friends and start to go tour. Look at them, have questions ready. Um, 
understand how they're all set up. Do they believe in age and place? Can you stay in your independent living and bring in help, whether it's additional help you hire through the place where you're live where you're moving to, or whether you bring in outside services? Or is there a point where that facility might say, hey, you know, if you need this kind of help, we're going to tell you you have to go to assisted living. Or we believe in age and place, you can stay there as long as you want, but you're going to have to bring services to you. You know, so asking those questions, are activities important to you? Do you want to have a villa? Do you want meals provided? How much are provided? You know, do you have, do they provide meals three times a day? Can you, is it a, you know, are you going down to like a restaurant or are there multiple restaurants? I mean, these. Kind of the size of the community, right? It's kind of like picking a college. My, I have twin girls and they're kind of dealing with that right now. One wants to be at a bigger college and the other one wants to be in a smaller college. And the amenities that each of those institutions provide are different. So it's, it's very similar in that way. So my mom moved into independent living in June and we went and toured. I had family go tour a lot of them and then they narrowed it down and my mom and I went, well, my mom is in her nineties. So walking isn't always easy in far distances. And one place we looked, it was lovely and they had a lot of activities, but it would have been hard for my mom a couple of times a day to walk that far. And so we did, she's in a much smaller community. That's not even full yet, but it's brand new and it's easier for her to navigate. And she even talks now, maybe I should have moved into an apartment closer to the elevator, you know, but it's good. It's not that far and it's getting her to exercise. She would have been lost, I think, in that large of a group with hearing issues and, you know, just confidence of living somewhere new. Amy, talk to us about the profit nonprofit thing. So they can be a for-profit or non-profit and that can be, it doesn't, one doesn't mean that it's better than the other, but we found is the questions that we were asking is, okay, so what is your plan for this community? What are you doing to better it? How are you reinvesting? And we found nonprofits have a much better plan of that for the places we look. That doesn't mean that's always the case, but it's, are they reinvesting in the community? And are they maintaining the community? I know we went and looked at one. They had a swimming pool. It was all in their advertising. Well, it had not been repaired in three years and wasn't working. That was, so that was, oh, wait, they're not, re, they're not reinvesting for the community. And what are they doing for those that live there? So, and just don't go by the name, but might say it's something and you're like, oh, well, that means that it's a nonprofit. Well, not necessarily. That just might be the name of the community. How do you find then, that out? Oh, you can find that out via the website. You can also go on there's their website. You ask that question. I asked for their financials. And I, I was like, I want to see your plan for reinvesting in this community. And then um, Medi- Medicare, they rate mm-hmm. the facilities as well. They do. You mentioned nonprofit versus profit. What about fees and getting into a community? How do you deal with that? What do you have to look for? So first thing, I mean, it's you know, it's a matter of evaluating what you're currently paying for your current house. Um, you know, oftentimes it can be there's a financial consideration to this. It can be depending if you're living in a big house. You know, going to a facility may be less expensive, or it may be more expensive. So. You know, thinking about and looking at what are you paying now and how does that fit into your overall financial plans, you know, part of the equation. And then it becomes a matter of these fees and 
kind of the buy-in process. Some facilities, they have a very low buy-in, like a, a lump sum buy-in, um, but they have higher ongoing monthly fees. Some of them are just the opposite, R- really high buy-in, but the monthly fees are much more affordable. So we need you need to look at that and examine what your options. Sometimes they give you options. There's a hybrid. Well, okay, if I put this much as a lump sum, then my monthly fee is going to be lower as opposed to not putting a lump sum down. So looking at kind of what those uh, what the what the uh, options are, looking at how the every in, every one of these facilities is a little different. So looking at that, get an idea of what those expenses are. And some facilities offer different options. So. Some will say, okay, you have this much of a buy-in. And then if you leave, whether you leave to move somewhere else or you pass away, you get a portion back. And it might be 90% back, or it might only be like 30% back, or you might put in this large fee and you don't get any back, that they use it monthly and it kind of amortizes down. Or after so many years, if you stay there three years, five years, it could just amortize itself down that you don't get anything back. Um, and those buy-ins are hundreds of thousands of dollars often. I actually just recently saw some. I've never seen them this high. They were over a million dollars. Yeah. And so I was like, some, some community. Right. Some community. And then how much do you get back? And interestingly, okay, you move into one of these, you put down this buy-in and maybe it's like the 90% buy-in. So that means um, you put down this amount of money. And when you leave in the future, you all get 90% of what you put in back. It's not, you know, it's just lump sum. There's no growth on it. It's what you get back. Some of them will um, get it back to you within 30 to 60 days. Some say you get it back when your actual apartment unit villa is rented. So depending on where it's located, you might be waiting. It could be years before you get that back. I did hear from a friend of a friend whose mother passed. She had been in a facility. She passed, and they did have to wait a year before the unit was re-rented, renegotiated, whatever, you know, resold. Yeah, it was a year. So that's something to consider. But then, like Tony alludes to, you know, we have to consider, okay, what is the monthly amount then? And how much does that do they typically increase that every year? Because, you know, you could live in one facility, and it's a lower monthly amount, but they, and they don't increase it that much. And then others, because you don't put that large dollar amount, it can be a lot of money and we're large ranges of what and you have to pay. And then how does that fit into your overall financial plan? Does it, does it work? You know, are you going to be able to have that money last for your, right. your rest of your lifetime? And you so. mentioned someone moving out of state. That's a whole new, you may want to be in your family, but you've got to reestablish yourself with mm-hmm. support. Doctors. Doctors. Yeah. Estate planning documents are part of that. Oftentimes you want to, your wills and your trusts may be, are portable from state to state, but your financial powers of attorney, your healthcare documents should be refreshed in the state in which you're in now. It's also a matter of looking at who the helpers are in those documents. So for instance, you may have a brother that is not, was your helper, but you know, now you're living in a different state. Maybe there's a different sibling that has boots on the ground. That would be the more appropriate person to name as a helper in your document that can act um, 
to help make healthcare decisions, to make those financial decisions that can go to the bank, you know, all those things and manage your financial affairs using those documents. So that all needs to be looked at, thought through and uh, make some clear decisions. Do long-term care policies travel from state to state? Yes. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Back to some other financial considerations. Um, you, I have clients a lot of times, they're not calling about their own situation. They're talking about family members. I have an aunt, I have an uncle in this situation, or, you know, my parents, or I don't think they're going to have enough to make it. What happens if they run out of money when they're there? So some facilities, when you move in, they want financial support. I mean, they're going to ask for financial documentation statements, you know, and then some don't ask for any of that. Or what happens if you do run out of money and it's exhausted? And what what are they going to do then? Do they make, do they kick them out or don't they? And how does that work? So that's really some considerations that people need to think about as well. Amy, in your experience, what sort of financial documents have these facilities asked for? All the investment statements. Investment statements. Do they ask for a net worth or is that they just Um, want to see the statements? Some ask for a net worth, and so they'll reach out to like me and say, hey, can you send them our current net worth? Mm -hmm. But a lot of times they want the actual financial statements, not a net worth. They want to actually see the statements with what what do you have? And then they always ask for all the estate planning documents. Because what you typically do then when you have moved in, whether you're an independent living or wherever, they call it and at least this one facility I've been working with, a vial of life. What all documentation do you have so that if they call the emergency squad in or whatever, that it's in the apartment, those documents are right there. But then they also have them on file at the main desk and right there in the facility along with like at headquarters. But they want to see the healthcare power of attorney. Do you have a DNR in place? Do you have a living will? You know, who are the primary contacts? And that is something you need to look at, like Tony was alluding to earlier, when you move, because there might need to be some updates made. Going back to the financials, too, is there ever a case when a facility asks a family member to almost co-sign in case they think you might run out of money? I have not experienced that or heard that, but I now years and years ago, I had someone that was helping their grandmother and there was the whole discussion when they looked at that facility that they had Medicaid beds. And then they, as long as you move in with enough money to last a few, several months, and they knew they needed to get the grandmother in soon so that she could cover herself for a while. And then as time went on, she did run out of money. And then it, then what happens basically is, the social security check goes to the facility and then you get a small living allowance from it. So you are kind of contributing. Okay. All right. This is a very um, thought provoking conversation. We've gone through a lot of things. So as advisors, let's review again, the steps that you think people should take. Yeah. So research early, you know, think about what your goals are. Don't let it happen to you, you know, put a plan in place, talk to family members, do your research. I think the other pieces being making sure your your physical space is prepared. You know, if you decide to stay in your home, do you need to make some updates? Do you need to make it wheelchair accessible? Do you need to have railings put in bathrooms and things of that nature? Um, and, you know, also decluttering and, 
you know, paring down. If you need to make that move into a facility, whether you have a health event, we've lived in our house for 30 years and we've got a bunch of junk in the basement. Take some time kind of going through that while you can and declutter it so that it's keep the stuff that's important to you and get rid of the, the stuff that, that isn't. Um, and there are services available that will help like senior transitions. They all have various names with the word transition, but they'll do anything from coming in. They'll use software. You can pick out all the furniture or what you think you want to take. You tell it to them. They have the floor plan of where you're moving and then they lay it all out. And then they come meet with you and they review it with you. And then you're like, no, wait, now we want to take that couch instead. Would it fit? I mean, they'll go through those things. Then you identify what you want to take clothing in your kitchen. Those, they come pack it for you and then they deliver it. They unpack it all for you. So when you walk in, your apartment is set up pretty much and ready to go or your villa or what you're moving into. They will also continue on and assist you if you would like with having an auction or getting rid of things in your house or doing that decluttering process if you'd like their services um, or taking things to a charity. They will do a, a gamut of things for you. The other step is preparing your finances. You know, you may have old 401k accounts that you need to consolidate. If you're moving into one of these facilities, you're going to have to provide statements for every one of those 401k accounts, or maybe you have CDs at seven different banks. Does it, does it really make sense to have them all at seven different banks when you're getting just a little bit of interest, additional interest for that complexity? So simplifying accounts, consolidating accounts, that'll make your life easier. It'll also make your helper's life easier. You know, as you need starting to need some financial assistance, having those accounts consolidated in a couple of different places allows your finances a lot to be managed a lot easier and more seamlessly. And the other part is bill pay that becomes at some point, are you going to need to have someone help pay your bills? Having those accounts consolidated again helps with bill pay. Um, you want to get eventually get someone assigned to your account to be able to do that using potentially a power of attorney. Um, one important thing that we've seen horror stories about is a client will add another owner on the account. Maybe it's one of their kids. The problem with that is upon the person's passing, maybe there's three kids. One of the kids is the now the joint owner on the account. Upon the person's passing, that one child now owns that checking account or whatever account it is individually. It doesn't get split to the other two siblings unless the now owning sibling decides to make rights checks to the other two. So that can cause some family dynamics. So making sure you don't change the ownership, but getting the kind of the proper, the proper, uh, properly set up so that it doesn't cause those sorts of issues. Or at least communication about that. Because on the flip side, if you just have it in your name and you have all this bill pay set up, let's say you're staying in your house, you've made the decision. So you've got cable, utilities, all these things that you have on auto pay and you have power, your, who your helper has power of attorney, but you pass away, that account's frozen. All that auto pay goes away. So then all of a sudden you could have missed bills. So it's whether if you made that decision, as Tony alluded to, it can be tricky if you add another owner, but it can be beneficial as long as that conversation is had with that individual or you limit how much you're keeping in that account. Great point, Amy. 
Now you and, go ahead. Go ahead. I was just going to then getting kind of family engagement. Talk to your family members about what your plans are, what your goals are. What at what points are would you consider making a move out of your house, and if how strongly do you want to live in the house? So talking, having conversations, get family members involved. As you start to uh, visit facilities, have someone go with you. Um, just like going to a doctor, sometimes you can't hear everything. Having a, a second set of eyes and ears to, to help ask good questions is hugely helpful as well. Do you guys have some examples of clients that you've worked with? I have several. I mean, ranging when I first was exposed to this, this whole concept of these communities that offer all these amenities, it was a client who had lost his spouse, and we're talking 20 plus years ago, decided to move to a whole other state across the country just because he had heard about a place out there. You know, he just wanted to experience a whole other culture, just lifestyle. And oh my gosh, it was a new lease on life. I mean, he missed his spouse so much, but you know, he's calling, I can't talk. We're going to the theater. They drive me, <laughs> you know, they drive me. I don't have to worry about it. We're going out to dinner. And he made so many friends. And I just think that he didn't, it helped him with depression. It helped him with just meeting new people. And he really just took a whole lease on life. And he was really younger. I mean, really just in his probably early to mid seventies. I mean, so he took advantage of it. And it's just interesting just to see everyone's approach, but, and it maybe isn't even senior living just when you're making that decision. Okay. We'll talk about it. We'll go to, or, but we're not going to move. It also could just be, Hey, we're empty nesters now. And we're going to just start this process by selling the big family home, cleaning stuff out sooner and downsizing as the first step. And then it's going to be, we know this maybe is for 10 years, or we could maybe live at home longer here because that's important to us. And then we'll think about another facility later, or there's people that move into these villas very young, you know, early mid fifties to early sixties. And with the intent of, they know they want to travel a lot. I know there's, we've had clients that have moved. They know it's kind of turnkey. They can lock it, but they're going to go take off and travel for three months. Well, there's not lawn care or they come back and they're like, we don't have to cook meals anymore. They have wonderful chefs at these places. And there's, you know, they have outings that you can sign up and go on outings and go to the theater and they have four or five different meals. You can go down, you can reserve tables, you can bring, bring family. Some facilities, and this can be important if you have a larger family or you want to have get togethers, they have rooms that you can rent out and you can have your Thanksgiving meal there with your family. They might have large enough rooms and you can work with a chef and say, this is what we want. And they'll pay you pay extra, obviously, but you reserve it and you can have big gatherings there. Amy, we all think about these facilities and everyone kind of shakes their head and say, I don't want that. But I mean, it doesn't have to be that bad is what I hear from you. It doesn't. My mom's is beautiful. I mean, she, she has a two bedroom, two bath, privacy on one side with her room and bathroom, but other room on the other side, it's large. We've set it up with a desk. I can work from there if I had to close the door and have my own room. It's what's lovely. Yeah. And they so, have... um. Some places have, I've now heard of several, they call it like Main Street and they have this area you can just walk through. I mean, they have hairdressers, a movie theater, a gift shop. You can go a game room, a craft I room. I want to live there. 
Yeah, I was going to say, I, it's like a little town. <laughs> and it, Sounds great. It, it does. You kind of walk through, but it's like indoor. There's yeah. one here I know in Cincinnati, and I know that there's other places where I've seen them as I've been researching with clients. And they're just trying to make it that you don't, maybe if you can't drive, you don't have to, you don't have to drive somewhere. You can mm -hmm. go down and there's someone that's doing your nails and doing your hair or, and sometimes they bring different doctors in and they have lots of activities in terms of exercise as well. Sounds great. Mm -hmm. Well, I guess what I hear is just to kind of recap, I mean, be open-minded. Leaving your house may not be the worst thing in the world. Um, as we kind of talked about, do your research, start early. Ha discuss what your goals are, visit a facility, visit a couple of facilities to kind of have a plan in place that you want to happen as opposed to it happening to you, which is kind of the worst thing. Prepare your physical space. Um, you know, make sure it's, if you want to stay in your homes, to make sure it's handicap accessible or has some age in place accessible things and declutter to the extent that you can. Prepare your finances, simplify, consolidate, look at what your documents say as far as your estate planning stuff and get family involved and have conversations. And how can listeners reach you at Foster & Motley? Foster & Motley, you can visit us on our website at fosterandmotley.com, spell out the and, and we'd, uh, you can connect and contact us there and love to have a conversation. All right. For more insight, information, follow this Foster & Motley podcast about life and wealth, and please share with others. I'm Patrice Sikora. Thank you for listening to Foster & Motley, a podcast about wealth and life. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information discussed and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Foster and Motley. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional financial advice. Keep in mind that rules and regulations are subject to change. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions regarding your financial planning and investments. Foster & Motley is not affiliated with any third-party providers. Any mention of a third-party provider does not imply an endorsement of that provider. If you decide to utilize a third-party provider, you do so at your own risk.